0: is Luke 15, 1 through 2, and verses 11 through 32, and it can be found on page 964 of the Bible's next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's Word. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus continued, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son but the father said to his servants quick bring the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found so they began to celebrate meanwhile the older son was in the field when he came near the house The word of the Lord.
1: Will you pray with me, our God of grace? We sang a song that our hearts are open, that all hearts to you are open. And we may try our best to close them off, but most of us probably this morning as we sit here are at least hoping that you are a being with whom it is safe to open up our hearts. And you are. The world has often not been safe for us, but you are indeed safe. Um, not, you want, might not necessarily give us what we were expecting. You might not necessarily take us places that we would have um, mapped out ourselves. And yet you are safe because you have our best interests in mind. As we sit here, we come from very different kinds of postures and places and moods. And whether we come mad at you or mad at others, or whether we come um, joyful, thankful, happy, whether we just come worn out and confused, Whatever the case may be, we sit here and we, we really um, universally are more of a mess than we care to admit. And your story is what we long for to be true, that as you show us in Scripture, that even though we're more of a mess than we care to admit, we're more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. We're more loved and accepted in Christ because you move towards us. You move towards our world for redemption always having your creation's best interest in mind, including all of us. So we pray that we may trust that as we listen, that our eyes may be open and our ears may be open to hear what you have to say to us and that it may be good, gentle, and it may, it may be transformative because that's what your grace is in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, um, the, the younger son, last week we talked about the older son and his, he was angry. He felt angry and superior. And today we talk about the younger brother a little bit. He, he, there's this, this key phrase in the story where, in verse 13, where it says, you know, he, he, he asked for his share of the estate. And then verse 13, not long after that, The younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country. He set off for a distant country. What is that in your life? What is your greener grass? You know how we're all kind of wrapped up in that? There's always something maybe that that we're longing for, that we're looking towards, that looks better. This week we, we get to hear from the young people again. So they answered the question of the week last week, what is your greener grass? TV, big ones. (laughs) Nike, getting famous. Lots of, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, Mansion, just like real brief answers here. PlayStation 4. Um, iPhone, seven plus, all right. Um, hoverboard what's your greener grass my greener grass is living where my grandma lives also it is having an iphone 7 plus (laughs) and being a millionaire all right I also uh, I also wish I had a dragonite in pokemon go all right you see some of the themes here Um, what else do we have there's even pictures wish I could communicate that time machine all right just to have a time machine um, and one other one, relate another time machine. So some of these things go hand in hand. You guys must have been discussing this, right? And so you're, one person would say something, and the other would say, oh, yeah, me too. I wish I, had a, I, wish I could go back in time and tell two-year-old me to start piano lessons, right? <laughs> you guys, most adults uh, would kind of reverse that one. They'd say, go back in time and tell a younger version of myself to stop taking piano lessons. Right? <laughs> Waste of time. No. Um, Right. Um, So the question of the week is, "What's your greener grass?" The sentiment of our culture, um, our culture kind of fuels this mentality of a greener grass. The sentiment, even if you don't sit here buying into it one hundred percent, it's all around you, and it and it seeps into you. Goes kind of like this: You only live once, right? That's part of it. YOLO. You gotta be. You gotta be you. And you've got to pursue your heart's desires as unrestricted as possible, which probably at some point is going to mean you're going to have to get out from under the suffocating restrictions of religious duty. You're free. Free to find your unique path, unfettered, without boundaries or restrictions from outside yourself, unencumbered by the entanglements and the expectations of those outside of yourself. One is Brief encapsulated phrase that I've heard said before, I think says some of this well, and and maybe you found yourself in this place where you say, I'm giving myself permission to. Right? I'm giving myself permission to. If you haven't said that yourself, you've heard somebody else say something like that. When they get to some kind of decision point or fork in the road, Um our culture at those places our culture doesn't tell us much along these lines you know this is not this would not be the voice of our culture well you know what you really should do don't you think you owe this to your family right we don't say it. you don't say that to your friend when they're at a decision point what would god think right what would jesus do what would your parents say which direction or choice is best supported by the bible right or by your church or by your small group or by your pastor that's we are just speaking broadly of culture that's not that kind of angle is not really it doesn't really jive we're a, we're a younger brother culture right the younger son got all together got together all he had and set off for a distant country in churches, you know, by the as an aside, churches tend to be placed safe havens for older brothers, right? Um, but younger brothers—it's all around us. Um, I found this is a, a great quote from the book on this same story about the prodigal son, Tim Keller's book, *The Prodigal God*, and he just simply says this: the younger brother in the parable illustrates the way of self-discovery. In ancient patriarchal cultures, some took this route, but there are far more who do so today. This paradigm holds that individuals must be free to pursue their own goals and self-actualization, regardless of custom and conviction. You got to be you. Give yourself permission to. So some of you might have some voices in your head or vestiges of of older generations, maybe of your parents or grandparents, where that, you know, you sense a little bit of like, I don't know if that's the best <laughs> route. Um, y- young people, you're, you probably don't have that. So those of you who are standing up here telling us about the Mary House, um, you guys in the back on the couch, um, you, you will have pretty much 100% this voice that the culture will tell you, you know. You got to be you. Go with your heart. Set your own goals. Put everyone else aside. You got to be you. Younger brother culture. But let's look. So what is the story? What little clues does it give us about this? Let's hear a couple things. First, beware of the pigsty moment. If you're going down this path, beware of the pigsty moment. In verse 15, the younger brother. So he went and hired himself out to, you know, once his money ran out on his liberating journey that he was on of freedom Then he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, but I am starving to death. This is the pigsty moment. The moment where you say, wait a second. This looked good. This looked liberating. This looked free. How could it not be? I told everybody in my life and they all kind of said, yeah, 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 you got to be you. Yeah, give yourself permission, go. But now look. It's a pigsty moment. Um, in, the, in the worship guide, there's a great quote from Bill Clegg as he writes an autobiography or a memoir about his journey into drug addiction um, while he was heading up, I think, a, a publishing house in Manhattan. And he tells us this, gr- this incredible tale where he ends up sitting in a bathroom, I think in his apartment, um, and he's, he's, he's thinking suicidal thoughts. He's got a knife in his hand, and he says, finally he says, this pigsty moment, he says, I look down at my fist, pumping that little weapon into my arm. I see how dreadful what I am doing is, and register in that instant that I don't want to die. Suddenly, for the first time, dying seems like the last thing I want. I stop. Grateful not to have caused more damage and I put my arm under cold water, rinse the wound, wrap it in paper towels and sit on the small bed facing the window. I sit there for a long time. I look at a church steeple and wait. I mean, this is not a, not a, a book about faith. It's not a book written by a Christian, but it shows you just in general how our path that we vigorously pursue and that we freely pursue and we say, no, I don't need to listen to anyone can lead to this pigsty kind of a moment. There are paths we take. They feel right. They seem liberating. And then all of a sudden the circumstances shift just enough to where we actually see where we are. Beware of the pigsty moment. The other thing we see from this story is to consider God's view of your path. It might be different from yours. It's pretty non-controversial that in this story of the prodigal son, the father represents God. So how does the father, or how does God view the younger son's journey? Like what are some of the th- words used to describe it? It's actually pretty extreme. In verse 24 and in verse 32, he says the same thing. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And then in verse 32, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And I would make the argument that he's not here in this parable describing it dead metaphorically, that it's just kind of, you know, he's, he's using extreme language, you know, like he was gone. He, he might as well, he, for all we knew, he was dead. No, it's, he really was dead. There was a deadness that that, that path had to it. And finally, maybe he finally sought for himself, but that truly was what the, path, what the path is. There's another way that Jesus actually says this. We don't like that. I gotta say, we don't like these passages in Scripture. But this is Jesus' own words. He says in Matthew chapter 7, Enter through the narrow gate, for, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Wide and broad is the road that leads to dis- Destruction. It doesn't, doesn't sound very liberating and free, this path. And so, that's, so just, just to, to look at the story and say, wow, isn't that interesting? In, in the two places where we hear from the father about kind of how he views this journey that the younger son is on, dead. That's the phrase, that's the word. He was dead. Um, so if you put these two things together, you've got this idea that it, uh, what's happening a lot of times on this liberating Um, freedom journey that we find ourselves on in parts of our life, that there's such a thing as pigsty moments and that in God's eyes, there might be a spiritual deadness going on. So can we at least consider the possibility that our own vision for the paths that we choose, the paths we go on, might be at least a little bit skewed? We might not have the best vision always for um, the directions we take with our life or with parts of our life. And maybe you can see that in yourself. You can probably see that in others. You've had somebody in your life. There's a really good chance, because I know because I talk to a lot of you, that in, like, in the last five years, let's just make up a number, in the last five years, somebody significant in your life just kind of gave themselves permission to do this thing or make this decision or go this route or make this choice, and, um, and you kind of being in their orbit, in their matrix of friendships or relationships or community kind of say, oh, that's going to have implications on some of us. And, and maybe part of you is like, yeah, I want to, you know, I want to kind of let you be you and I want to respect you. But there's another part of it like, have we done justice to the interconnectedness here of you just being you? We're more connected than we often like to think. And another, another um, place, another book, actually, where Tim Keller is dealing with this kind of this part of our culture, and he says the late modern freedom narrative, he calls it the late modern freedom narrative, undermines human community in general. Maybe you've seen that at work. He says at the human level, I find this very interesting, at the human level, love does not grow or even survive alongside the self-absorption of the late modern understanding of freedom and choice. So we're thinking about. That's so you might consider that God's view of our kind of free choices and our, our liberating paths we take um, is that it's not quite as free and as liberating and as wonderful for us as we might hope. So where where do we go with this? Let's shift, let's shift gears and and think about a radically shocking kind of liberation that the Bible is leading us towards. It's shocking. Let me read it. Let me read to you how shocking this is. Let me read you Psalm one hundred and forty nine, verse forty five. I think that's right. No, that's the wrong one. Psalm one hundred and nineteen, verse forty five. Yep. Psalm one hundred and nineteen. It's the longest psalm in uh, the Psalms. Really long, and it's every single verse has to do with. God's ways or God's scripture or God's word. And so this is verse 40, what did I say? I'm sorry, 45. Yeah, verse 45. I will walk about in freedom. How? I will walk about in freedom for I have sought out your precepts. Isn't that that shocking? Isn't that different than what Right, You've got to get those, the shackles of the restrictions of religious duty. Get those off so you can be free. This passage says, Oh, the freedom of God's ways and God's precepts. Now, you could either just write that off and say, That's crazy. I don't agree with that. That's some kind of little trick that the Bible's trying to do, or it's just religious God talk that doesn't make any sense. You know, We all know that you know, religious ways are not free ways. Or you could give it a little consideration because it's exactly the younger brother realization and it's exactly what I experience as I listen to people um, as they process the gospel of Jesus and the grace of Jesus starting to take hold in their life. It's exactly the freedom that a Christian has is that with God you find finally the confines that bring liberating life that you can freely pursue the life of who you always um, who, who you've been made to be, and in a sense what your deepest longings always are calling to, with God there is a sort of like you enter the confining restrictions of freedom that bring liberation to who you really are. The younger son, when he's at home, he's, he underestimated this when he ran away, he, that he, when he's at home he's free to have food. <laughs> he's free to have clothes that aren't worn out. He's free to um, have a roof over his head. He's free to thrive because those things exist and because he's free, he's free because he's known and loved by people who know him. And so the real question becomes this, um, what am I missing out on in my pursuit of my self-actualization? What have I, what have I had to, bracket out and push to the side on this path, and it won't be on this path. What deeper joy, what deeper community, what peace, what hope, just can't coexist with the choices that I'm making. This is, this is I love, I, I've never before seen a commercial that perfectly, um, and I've brought this one up before, a commercial that perfectly it captures a spiritual concept that the Bible points out. It's the State Farm commercial. I think the title of it, if you, if you YouTube it, is Never. Because this man is, and it's oh, it's such a fast commercial. They pack it so much into about 25 seconds. He's at the pool. He's single. And he's making eyes at someone across the pool. And he turns to his guys and he says, I'll never get married, right? And then the next scene is he's like putting a ring on, you know, will you marry me? And then uh, they're coming back from their honeymoon on the plane, and there's kids crying behind them. We're never having kids, right? Next scene, she's having a baby. She's in the you know, labor delivery room. Um, how does it go next? Oh, they're, they're, they're enjoying their child in the kitchen table that overlooks the city skyline, and oh, we're never moving to the suburbs. Next scene, he's trimming the bushes out in the sub. right? She's in the babies on the grass, and a car goes by. We're never driving one of those. Next scene, they're washing the minivan, you know? And, uh, and, then the, and then he's washing off the marker off the wall. And he said, we're, never having, we're not having any more kids. And she calls back, I'm pregnant. Um, and then the next scene, the closing scene, I'm never letting go. And he's got his family in his arms on the couch, snuggling around him, right? I mean, oh. <laughs> I'm never letting go. He's got his two kids, right? his wife. He's in the suburbs. He has a minivan in the garage. And they all look exhausted, and he says, I'm never letting go. Tim Keller, again, um, he he tends to have good things to say on this topic. He, he puts it this way, and this is, I think, this this is that commercial exactly. He says, Freedom is not, then, simply the absence of restrictions, but rather consists of finding the right, liberating restrictions. Put another way, we must actively take uh, tactical freedom losses in order to receive strategic freedom gains. You grow only as you lose some lower kinds of freedom to gain higher kinds. Is that true? Is that true for you? The young son... He realizes just the simplicity, how he doesn't have in his life anymore the simple freedoms to be clothed, to be fed, to have a roof over his head. And suddenly he realizes in that pigsty moment, the grass is actually way greener over there, and the grass, or I'm not, there's no grass here at all anymore where I thought was so amazing. But little does he know, when he does go back, he's not just going to get the opportunity to maybe work off the debt he's paid to his father, but he's, he's surprised and shocked with the lavishness, the astonishing, undeserved accommodations that suddenly are opened up before him like royalty. I mean, not only are those simple things there, but now the doors are flung wide open for his thriving when he... Returns to those restricting confines of his home life with his father. And most notably for the Christian to consider, is that I mean that's like our relationship with God. And the most notable part about the parable that relates to this is that not only, you know, is there a lot of kind of of cool things about life with God, but there is this central thing, your status that's given to you, you're fully reinstated at the status of being God's child, son, daughter, child, child of God. There's this, there's this undeserved, unearned status that you're given, you know, the robe and the ring in the story, status, status, status. You're fully in with God, no restrictions on being a child of God and to thrive in your true identity. And no restrictions on thriving in your true identity as a child of God. So I I want you to kind of just think for a second about some aspect of your life, some area where maybe you resonate with the voice and you've had the voice of, I'm giving myself permission. You know, some part of your life, some area of your life that has maybe fit some of this freedom narrative. And then I want you to consider that if there was some kind of returning to God, yielding, being vulnerable, returning to God in that aspect of your life, or maybe in your whole life maybe you're you're one like my whole life needs to return to but in some way you return to God in this part of your life what just imagine yourself being shocked at a whole new sense of God's care in your life a whole new just amazing lavish involvement of God that had sort of he got it had seemed very kind of distant in a concept that in your yielding of a part of your liberation narrative Suddenly, you, you find that it all switches, and you actually, in yielding that liberation narrative, you find liberation. You find yourself wrapped, embraced in the arms of God in a way that you, thought, you never even thought faith in God could be this way. What's one, what once looks like invasive restrictions transforms into liberation and freedom before the Father in heaven. Could it be possible? It's probably going to be something very, this is not a concept, this is, very, this is going to be something very specific in your life, unfortunately, right? Well, let me just close with a, a piece of a hymn by John Newton that I think gets at this really well. He says, Our pleasure and our duty, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. Let's pray. Our God of grace, whether we are young or whether we are older, <laughs> we find ourselves surrounded by this this by different narratives in our culture that we find the more we get to know you and your story that that they need to be challenged. And yet we don't even necessarily have the reserves or the strength or the bravery and courage always to do so, to take steps to yield our lives to you. Would you help us through your Holy Spirit would you help us in all the, all the tools you have in your toolbox in our lives? Sometimes it's circumstances. Sometimes it's the music we hear here on a Sunday morning or the table of grace that we have a chance to come forward to in a minute. Sometimes it's our reading of Scripture and praying daily throughout the week. Sometimes it's the Christian community, family, friends. Would you help us to make brave and courageous moves towards living in community with you fully again or for the first time?